Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. And today we are going to take you behind the Iron Curtain. Not so much. Uh, we're all about radical transparency um, on this podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're grateful that you're here. That means that you're curious. That means that you want to get better. And our job is to reveal the things that we learn along the way. No, by no means are we experts, but we want to have a weekly conversation about our thesis, which is digital hospitality. All businesses need to be digital. All businesses need to be in the hospitality business. Uh, Sometimes I take that for granted when I say all businesses need to be digital. And I think one of the most important things every week is that I remind myself uh, just how far technology has come. Uh, just today before this podcast, we have brought on some new technologies into what we do, um, a Cali Barbecue Media, Slack being one of them, another one being Zoom. We used to record this podcast on Skype. Now we are recording on Zoom. Uh, we also use Calendly, which helps integrate my schedule with people booking. And sometimes those things, they don't always integrate perfectly on the first try uh, with a Mac and a Windows-based computer and my iPhone. And uh, it's funny because I have to remind myself that you know, this is part of the process. And it's a humbling thing, um, especially in 2020, when you put on a weekly podcast um, about digital hospitality. Uh, it, it's one of those things I have to remind myself. But today's guest is Stover Harger IV, who is uh, my right-hand man. He's here on every podcast, whether you see him not or not, um, whether you know that he's a part of the show, he is an integral part of our team. And part of what we want to do every week is explain expose the team, but more importantly, teach you how we have the team, why we have the team, why we do what we do so that you can um, do that as well. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Stower. Thank you. I'm not used to it. You're actually not used to doing that intro having to stare at me. I know. I know you're off a little bit because I'm actually the third. You're the third? I keep calling you the fourth. I want you to be the next generation. It's a lot of numbers to remember. Right? It's a lot of that's for your son. Your son's the fourth. <laughs> yeah, my son is the fourth. That's right. Okay, fair enough. Well, you're you're the third, and uh, why don't you introduce yourself to digital hospitality fans that don't know who you are, um, so they can get an idea of how we met and uh, what you've been doing for what you've been doing for us recently, and then we'll go back in time to uh, who you were before that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, fans of the show know I'm behind the scenes. Whether they hear about me or not, I'm always uh, listening and watching and helping uh, grow the digital hospitality and our thesis statement. Uh, I met Sean years ago now doing a barbecue podcast just like he did. And we connected both thinking that we were the only ones doing the game within the game. I was watching him. He was watching me. Neither of us really knew that. And then we connected like a lot of people do these days on Instagram. And then the relationship just didn't stop. Like anyone who works with Sean knows, he'll call you. <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> a lifetime commitment. I, you know, uh, you quote Winnie the Pooh, right? Yes. What is that quote? The quote is, uh, we will be friends forever. Just you wait and see. Well, you're not wrong. I, I've, I've greatly enjoyed uh, my time as your friend, but also what we're building yes. and the important work we do every day. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's part of one of the things that excites me the most about the podcast and about digital hospitality and 
just one of the things that, you know, really we want to teach the people listening to the show is that there's never been so much access to people that you care about, ideas that you want to pursue. Um, And it's all because of this smartphone, because of the internet. Uh, Really, you can tune into a channel, tune into a frequency, as Meltzer would call it, um, of ideas and things that make you want to be better that you know cause you to you know we i say stay curious get involved and ask for help um staying curious means just listening you know finding compelling content whether it's audio through podcast whether it's video through youtube um, whether it's blog through you know our hopefully our digital hospitality blog um, or any of the other ones that we recommend i mean every single week we try to bring on the best and the brightest of people that come onto our radar and you know sometimes i have to pinch myself when i think back of who we've had on the show and who we plan to have on the show so um you know I don't take it lightly that Stover is now part of the team. It's something that I'm super excited about uh, because, you know, we had a connection and like, like he said, it was part of Instagram. He was doing an Instagram live in front of Franklin's barbecue, the historic Franklin's barbecue in Austin. Um, I jumped on the live feed and started making jokes and uh, he started responding to my poorly made jokes. And um, then I started tagging Greg Rempe in those poorly made jokes who does barbecue central show and essentially is the, the Michael Jordan of barbecue podcasting. Um, he's been doing it longer than most podcasters on earth and uh, puts on a week, uh, weekly show on Tuesdays that we've both been a part of. Um, so watching this rising tide lifting all ships and being a part of it is just something that's super exciting. Uh, tell me a little bit and let the listeners know about your back background and uh, your background as a journalist specifically you know i before i got into digital media and all things online i was actually a print journalist um and it actually felt like when i first got into it back in 2006 that there was a future in print journalism because that's what my advisors were saying that's what my uh, professors were saying that's what everyone in the industry was saying don't worry print journalism will always be here. So work at a newspaper. Uh, So I worked in the trenches for more than a decade as a print newspaper journalist, all the way from the college uh, print paper to weekly in a a small community and then up into a daily. Um, But as I rose in an industry, I saw the industry collapsing. So here I was wanting to have a future in something that everyone was jumping off of. All the people who like hired me got into different fields and I was or like, well, I got to get off this, I got to get off this. Or got fired, right? Well, I mean, I want to like, how did it happen? Do people, did they see it coming and then they got off or, or was it a little bit of both? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to disparage anybody, but a lot of people who had the means to jump off that Titanic and, and had a boat did whether they were married or had a partner who had a good job, they could do freelance work. They, they were gone first. The people who were able to work for the cops or the fire department or the local government uh, or a candidate and worked in PR, they, they took off next. And then the people who were left are maybe the ones who wanted to be lifers, did it for the love of it, or didn't know what else to do. And I, I for a long time, I didn't know what else to do because mm-hmm. I thought my training was as a print reporter. I didn't realize I could take all the things I learned and put them somewhere else. And that was a big revelation for me. But it took really jumping on social media and starting a podcast to really give me that, oh, shit moment, as you say. 
that what, I need what was to- that oh shit moment because I think it's important um you know when you when we talk about the difference between digital marketing and digital media yeah. uh, what is that difference and what was that oh shit moment with audio content creation yeah yeah you know I mean it was, it was sort of everything all at once it wasn't just the podcast itself it was the act of creating the podcast um for people who don't know I was a co-host and co-creator of the best barbecue show um Greg Rempe, the host of the Barbecue Central show, that's actually the best barbecue show, but we call ours the <laughs> Don't give him a big ego. Show. Greg doesn't need a big ego. <laughs> I think his is the best barbecue he, show. He needs to keep working on it before some <laughs> up-and-comer comes and takes him down. <laughs> we, we called it, uh, me and my co-host Yanni, we, we called it the best barbecue show because um, it was an SEO tool. And we wanted to create the show Neither of us had any experience doing podcasts. We wanted to do it as a test to see if we could make a popular show in a genre that we didn't really know that much about. And it kind of started to work. Yeah. And and I was like, wow, I have an audience for that. I mean, I've been, um, I've worked at a daily newspaper that had hundreds of thousands of readers. And I never felt that that many people were connecting with me until I had a barbecue podcast with only a thousand listeners. Why do you think that people was? actually responded to me? Why do you they think who I was? Yeah, I know. But why do you think, what do you think the difference is between a, a diff, uh, a circulation of hundreds of thousands with a newspaper versus audio content on a specific channel on the internet? It's easy because it's it, that big numbers inflated. Number one, you don't know if it's true because it's a passive audience. They get it, whether they know they're getting it or not. It's just a hunk of paper. Yes. In, the paper used to seem valuable. Now it seems like trash. Well, just because you printed a hundred thousand papers doesn't mean that a hundred thousand yeah. people picked up and turned to page six and read your article or page one. I mean, even page one, right? You could have it on page one and people read the headline and say, congratulations on that story. And you didn't even write the headline. Yeah. Someone else wrote the headline and got it wrong. And they're like, that's a great headline. And they didn't even read your, my own parents stop subscribing to the newspapers halfway through my run as a newspaper because that I mean that was an indicator I should have listened to like when your own parents the generation before you <laughs> stopped actually paying for the thing that pays your bills yeah it's time to get out and then I stopped reading newspapers yeah and I would get annoyed when a newspaper would block me out and say hey you have to pay me and then I would oh no the economics are broken that's when I needed a life raft out so I moved to Texas it's interesting, you know, when you, I mean, I'm fascinated by legacy media. I mean, as you know, you know, who, those of you who follow the show, we've had so many different people, um, you know, that we're fortunate to call friends, people like Jim Trotter that started at the Union Tribune, which is the paper here in San Diego is the beat, you know, he became the beat writer of the Chargers eventually, um, covered them until he got an opportunity to work at Sports Illustrated, which used to be the number one sports magazine that every single person that cared about sports journalism would be at. Uh, then he went to ESPN and started doing TV, which he hadn't done before. And then now he's at NFL Network and he just launched his podcast. I've been talking to him for three years about why he's not creating audio content. But to hear about a company as big as NFL Network or as big as ESPN or Sports Illustrated and to think, you know, back to how we started this podcast is we take this technology for granted. We take the fact that all these things have come into our life. The smartphone, you know, really since the Apple's first iPhone came out in 27, 2007, 
which was June 29th, 2007, when this first iPhone came out, no matter what job you had, if you don't think about the impact that it's had on your business, on your specific job. Um, you know, we had a, a meeting just before this podcast with a company, a, a local turf company, and we we're just asking questions um, about how do they do their workflow process? How do they put out bids? How do they, you know, receive an, a bid from the internet? And how does it get to the owner? Then does it get to the sales team? And just going through that conversation, you realize how much media is getting transferred over just text message, you know, group text. I'll send a, a bid through group text or I'll send a, an image of the job through group text. But then if you add other people to that group text, it's a different chain. You know, so how's that chain getting organized? It's the same way as organizing your email. You know, is it a reply all or what thread is it in or where is this piece of content that I need? Thankfully, Gmail, which is what we use, is great at finding anything and everything related to whatever you're searching. Not every platform is good. Um, it's super interesting to think where we are in 2020 and that we're not even getting started. Yeah, I, I'm amazed. We, we talked last week, I think, and again, time has no meaning. It's an illusion. We know this. But we talked last week about how we had a phone call in August, and it seemed like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And the end of August. I mean, we, we've all been through a lot this year. I mean, I know every, I know personally I've been through a lot, and I can only imagine what other people have been through too. Because if we, we you all have to think, if you're going through something, you know someone else is going through it. We have, we have this collective experience as humans. So we know 2020 has been an incredibly hard year. But we also know that in a hard year and in any tough time, once you get through it, that's where potential is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a trial. I mean, we're put through trials as humans throughout human time. One of the things uh, that I'm fascinated with is the experiences and stories that I've drawn from before that I'm pulling up now as we make this digital transformation and start to bring on something like Slack that literally we're having a conversation Stover and myself with a Slack representative asking Slack for examples of a barbecue company or a restaurant company or a restaurant group that uses it and how do they set up the communication channels. She couldn't find us any examples of anybody that was using Slack, which is just crazy to think that, you know, this company has 5,000 employees. They are every single tech company that you know of that's on your phone, that's Facebook or Twitter or Yelp or Uber Eats, their executive team, their entire, all their employees, they use Slack, like cloud beds, uh, all these companies, they're all using Slack yet, you know, it, Typically in the restaurants, we're, we're last we're last to the to the game. Nonetheless, drawing from those experiences, for you, what have you learned at your position as a as a reporter, your position as an editor, um, that has helped you understand digital and digital distribution? You know, I think one of the the biggest things, um, one of the biggest lessons and skills that I I took is my time as a reporter and editor and. And uh, from all the whole spectrum of what it means to be a, a newspaperman in the old old fashioned terminology is um, that you can find stories anywhere. 
And when you're searching for that piece of content or that social media post or that topic for your podcast, whatever it is as a business owner you're stressing about when it comes to putting out digital content for your audience, um, is you have to really look at yourself and see what is, what is it that interests you. And that's what you have to do as a reporter. Um, news judgment is a skill that reporters and journalists have that is almost hard to explain. It's almost like a sixth sense, news judgment. I mean, I, I put that on my resume one time. If I knew the right person read it, they knew what I meant. <laughs> it's a combination of ethics, history, knowledge, knowledge about people, empathy. To sociology, psychology. Sociology, psychology, to determine what deserves to be put in front of people. Yeah. So... But remember, there's no gatekeepers anymore. I was hired to be a gatekeeper of knowledge. That's literally what our job was at one time as reporters. We got everything. We got crazy ramblings, death threats, conspiracy theories. We didn't print everything because there's literally not enough time. So we were hired for our news judgment to sift through the cacophony of noise and information and put out a certain bit that summarized the community that we were reporting on. Now, that could be one city, one school, one town, one state, one country, one world. But whatever your community that you were reporting on was, you were the gatekeeper for information to that community. Yes. Lottery scores. You choose what comics go in the paper. But we all know that's done. There's no gatekeepers anymore. So what do you do with all that information? You still need to refine it for your audience. You can't give them everything. You can't be everywhere. You can't tell them everything because that's literally not how the world works. You have to filter it and tell these stories. And that's what we do. I mean, on our blog and the work that I do, I mean, I, I do the same skills. I look for stories, but I look for stories about digital hospitality, about barbecue, about the people we know about San Diego um, and just stuff that sort of resonates with the other content we're putting out. So it has a flow. And it's the same thing as running a newspaper but I'm not a gatekeeper anymore. People can find the information. I'm not going to pretend like I'm the only one telling them certain things. I like the word that you use refinement because refinement is really something that it's that frequency. It's getting down to the core of the message, you know, and what I've been talking about recently since we did the toast POS video and Eric, you know, has continued to do an incredible job talking about his specific skill set as a general manager, uh, you know, understanding why that video is resonating, talking to Meltzer about it and talking to other staff about it, talking to, you know, Will from Toast, who's the regional sales rep, talking to Ali. Um, it's interesting to me because it's you start to understand that the characters add context, but it's also a voice for the voiceless. So by voiceless, not to mean that Eric doesn't have a voice. He has a very dominant voice in the direction of this company, but it's that most general managers of single unit restaurants, most regional managers, they're not the ones that are asked about the products on camera. They're asked behind the scenes, they're asked in board meetings, but they're not asked, how does it work? Why does it work? How can we make it better? Well, that's the entire thesis of why I liked your old podcast and why I wanted to help you make this one. Your old show is behind the smoke. And I thought it was a barbecue show. And there's a misnomer that it was a barbecue show. <laughs> yes, it, yes, you own a barbecue restaurant and, and you love barbecue, so do I. It's so much more than a barbecue show. You had reporters on and you asked them about the industry. You had the guy that created Uggs. 
Yeah, Brian Smith. Brian, yeah. So, I mean, you had all these great guests, and ultimately the question was, what makes you you? Yeah. And to me, that's so much more than a barbecue show, of course. Um, and I, I love that idea, being able to give a voice to people that haven't had to tell their story over and over again. We know those people. Mm-hmm. We can find them. They're telling their story right as we speak. But reporters who spend all their time telling other people's stories don't always have their interesting story told. So when you put Tabitha Lipkin on your show years ago for the first time, I'm living in Austin, Texas, and I don't know who she is, and I'm still relating to her and her voice and her story, which I would never have heard Yeah. if it wasn't for that. So then that inspires me uh, to want to get back into it and telling those stories of people that aren't being covered. Covered is a reporter term for making sure that something is written about for the good of humanity. And that's what I believe. Stories need to be told so we can make up our minds. And if stories aren't being told, we don't have all the information. Can you tell me about the story that you reported on um, about the homeless and the sign and the impact? Um, I, you know, I did, <laughs> that's the thing with being a reporter is <clears throat> I've written thousands of stories and that's not a joke. Yes. Insane amount of stories that a reporter, especially one that was a general assignment reporter or a breaking news reporter, um, and all the different jobs I've done in different communities of different sizes, is that I've done probably a hundred different homeless stories. Yeah. <laughs> a crazy amount. Um, the one that stands out the most to me was there was a, a woman who, she wanted uh, the community to help her raise money for a homeless guy that she saw at the supermarket because it reminded her of her brother. And that sort of interested me more than just writing a little brief, a short little help raise money for this guy. Because to me, that, that, well, that little act of charity is good. I wanted to tell a bigger story to help more people. I didn't want to just focus on one particular incident. I wanted to tell a larger narrative as a way to maybe inspire the world in some way. I mean, any good reporter really just wants to help the world with information. So I contact her and I go and I say, can I meet this guy? And it turns into this whole like long week long saga where she brings him in and starts putting him up in a hotel and the community's buying all these presents and all these gifts and everything. And, but she just sort of like jumped into it because it reminded her, like he had the same name as her brother and he looked exactly like her brother. And as I'm talking to her, I learned that her brother experienced homelessness and drug addiction and horrible life and just disappeared one day. And in her mind, this guy would have been if her brother, because 20 years later, she sees her brother in what she imagined her brother would be now sitting on the street. And the story could have stopped there, but I don't believe that every story needs a happy ending if reality doesn't make it happy. Yeah. She didn't know this guy, Buddy had a criminal record as she took him, a pretty dense one. And he had some mental illness, Mm -hmm. I I learned after spending time with him and things like that. And the relationship kind of turned south, you know, in in a lot of ways. And she learned a lesson about, um, yes, it's one thing to do charity. It's another to put all that on this person that she didn't know her for anything and just wanted some food. Yeah. She put a lot on this, this guy that wasn't ready for that type of relationship because she was trying to make him her brother. Yeah. And so 
it's weird to be a reporter because I'm not a part of their life. And I don't remember the details, but to, to the people that I've reported on, those moments are some of the most impactful moments of their lives. And then I breeze in and breeze out mm-hmm. and tell the story as best as I can and then move on the next day to something else. So it's a really strange memory. Uh, that, that old show Quantum Leap, uh, the guy who traveled through time said his brain was like uh, Swiss cheese. And that's yeah. what it is to be a reporter because you have to forget stuff to remember new stuff. And so it's really weird thinking back when you ask me about that, because there's these holes, these Swiss cheese holes in the story, yet it was so important at that time. That story needed to be told, and I was so immersed in it. Now, there's another story about a panhandler sign, a woman that went on, was the freeway? Yeah. Went on the freeway and said, stop feeding, stop giving money to the homeless. And this photo went viral. Yes. Tell me about the impact, because you wrote an article about the impact of media, which I found very powerful, because well, she, she told it in a way that typically isn't reported on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that story you're talking about. It. I went back and I saw whatever the top stories were of that year at the paper I worked at, the Columbian. Um, it was, the, I, th- I believe it was the top story of the year where... <laughs> Um, she held a sign up and said, stop giving money for my kid to have heroin. Yeah. And she, she was just trying in the moment just to get some people to honk and stuff like that. She wasn't looking for press and then it happens. And I was, was that, so that, that was reported on in our paper, but I wanted to follow up because what happens usually is the reporters come in, they write about your story. Like, like I taught, told you about the homeless guy and then the woman Mm -hmm. Um, and then they disappear forever but i wanted to follow up with her and other people that were in the news and got all this attention to see what happened afterwards so um you know there's just the act of like actually calling someone up and saying what happened after the cameras stopped showing up yeah it was a very powerful moment for me to realize the impact of reporting and what you can act like the power of the pen would people say because if you write about someone, you change their life by yeah. blasting them to the, the whole world now, which is the internet. It used to be if you were in the local paper, you were in a print thing that got recycled. Maybe someone put it on their wall. But now if you're in a local paper, you're being sent to Turkey. You're being sent to Bulgaria. I mean, if you go viral, has yeah. the internet. Yeah, you can go viral. Mm-hmm. And if you go viral, that can be for good or for bad. It can magnify your message if you're trying to promote something for good, like stopping drug abuse. Or it can put unwanted attention on your finances in ways you never thought they were going to do. And then, you know, or whatever, like you might not want the attention that you think you're going to get. So there is like kind of a lot of power for a local reporter in ways that I don't think that they treat it with at the newspapers these days. They don't really grasp the power that they have. Can you tell us more about the power of copywriting and why it's so powerful to have a writer like we do on our team, like Ian, that's helping really boots on the ground, get the story and then get it to you so that you can format that story for basically for multimedia repurposing content. Well, yeah. So, I mean, everyone knows they need written content for the internet. You need images, you need video, you need all these ways that people consume content. But the basic way that people consume content is still the written word. When you're scrolling and reading news, you're on social media, you're seeing words all the time. And not everyone can write really easily. 
I mean, some clarity. people it takes clarity. Well, they forget clarity. People take some hours to write one paragraph because it freaks them out. They yeah. stop, they delete, they stop, they delete. A writer like we hired with Ian, and hopefully we'll have a whole team one day of writers because they're so important. They can take ideas and condense them and make them make sense. Yes. You can call up Ian and talk to him for 20 minutes and you won't even remember what you said and he'll, he'll tell you what you said and he'll make it make sense. He'll teach you something with your own thoughts. And that's what a good writer does. But it's one thing to have content, but you also need strategy. So you can't just have a writer. You have to have a team that is uh, uh, producing and publishing. And so that's what me and Ian do on the content side behind the scenes of Calabibic Media is you'll gather content. You'll do an interview. Uh, our video crew will go out and film something. And then you'll send it to me. And I'll send the relevant parts and, to, and get together with Ian and we'll review it together. He'll go and write it and come up with a storyline and a lesson. But then what do we do with it? Where does it go? Yes. I mean, even the best writer in the world sometimes is not the best publisher. And I think Ian would be first to say that, like, his skill as a storyteller and he's getting better at being a publisher. But not everyone can do both especially when they're already working on one side of the brain. You can't do them both at the same time. So we consult and we talk to businesses all the time, you and me, about like content. And they have one staff member that they're in charge with writing their social media content, writing their press releases, posting it on social media, handling PR, answering calls. That's a lot of switching from the left and the right brain. You need those two sides to work together. There's an art and a science to it. And yes. I really think it's two sides to that job. So it's one thing to have a writer, but you also need strategy and a publisher on top of your writer, your content creator. Yeah, I think it's super powerful what, you know, the more that we consult with small businesses, with people that are social media managers, um, you know, people have been contacting us just to, to, to find out if they're crazy, <laughs> basically. Like, it, tell me I'm not crazy, but my, you know, my work wants me to publish, you know, on Twitter. They want me to publish on YouTube. They want me to do email marketing. They want me to update the website. Like, they want me to do all these things, and yet nobody's giving me content, you know, they want me to publish, yet when I ask for content, they want me to create the content. And part of our job is to always get things down to the basics, which is what we talk about. The internet is words, it is video, it is audio, and it is images. Like, that's it. It's basic. Once you start thinking about the different platforms of what's the algorithm for TikTok versus Pinterest versus LinkedIn, that's when people get intimidated and then they shut down and they go, well, I'm not going to do any of it. But our job, what we do on a regular basis and what you and I continue to learn is just we have to figure out how can we explain it to more people so that they can start unlocking what we are starting to unlock and that's we're not experts we're the first i'm the first person to tell any person that i'm the stupidest person in the room but by saying that i'm dumb and by asking somebody that's in the tech industry how does the tech industry work and when they start to explain it in industry jargon i have to remember and like it's my it's my duty on behalf of you the listener i need to do a better job and slow down I need to say, I don't know that. Or even if I do know that, will you explain it? Because I have the expert, like this is a seat at the table. I have the expert and I will making a promise that I'm going to try to do a better job of slowing that person down because the more that I slow them down, 
the more that I slow the other person down that works in media, the more that I slow the person down that works in the oil industry, we're going to start to understand, listen, they have the same issues that the turf company that we talked about have. Maybe they should be on Slack. Maybe they should integrate G, their G Suite and their Google Drive to Slack. And maybe all these different Zooms and Calendly's and all these different apps that we're talking about, what are we talking about? All we're talking about is smartphone integration with words, images, video, and, and uh, graphics. Like, that's it. And storage and the ability to, re- to get that. Search it. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of what people deal with with technology these days, it's not as hard as it used to be, but they're folk, they're stuck in the, the quagmire of not knowing where their passwords are, not knowing how to uh, automate a program, not knowing how to use a software, being scared of downloading an app, and so you just use the one in the browser window and it doesn't work as well. There's these little broken things in, in the machinery of, of um, technology these days that need to be fixed before any of us can really jump to the next level. So there's a lot to refine and improve. And if anyone says they're an expert at anything digital, I mean, you, you should turn the other way because no one is an expert. There can only be people who are striving to, for excellence. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we keep discovering is that the more that we share with our tech partners, the things that work and do not work for our specific business or our client, what they're working on, you will be amazed at how much it benefits them to specifically work on improving that task because that helps their shareholders, that helps their salespeople, that helps their marketing people. They want to have a good product. They don't want it not to work. So if it needs to have an integration, if Toast needs to have an integration with seven shifts, Toast is our POS software. We've just moved to an incredible technology. We can update our own mobile first smartphone, the way that people order ribs, the way that people order online. They can buy gift cards digitally now. Um, We can do loyalty digitally. All these things Toast is enabling us to do. But if we're gonna switch to Slack, is Slack gonna communicate with Toast? Because if it does, it makes it more powerful to me, it makes it more powerful to Eric, our general manager, it makes it more powerful to Howard, our consultant. So, but I have to be willing to reach out to, to Toast. I have to be willing to reach out to Slack. And I think that's the thing that I want listeners of the show to empower them to know that it's not just a vendor relationship. Like there are people behind all these companies and you'll find very quickly once you reach out to the sales team, how willing are they to reach out to the engineers? How willing are they to reach out to their managers to ask a higher level question? And it's not just, oh, we're not going to have anybody. There's people that work everywhere. No matter how much automation happens, there's people that work everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So what what would your advice be to somebody that, Let's, let's say, actually, let's say a writer, somebody that used to work, used, used to be a journalist. What, what advice would you give to them for this brave new digital world? Yeah, I would say um, <clears throat> create your own job. Don't wait for it to come to you. Don't look for a posting. The, the, what we're doing now doesn't exist technically. Do you remember the first time you said you had a barbecue media company to someone? I still say they it laugh. to people and watch they them laugh. Say, they still laugh, right? It's the best. Yeah. I've told people in one sentence what we do and they still don't understand. So we still have a lot to do in terms of describing this new world. I would say to all reporters, and I do, and I, I 
I yell it from the hills as loud as I can to everybody that you have an ability that is valuable. You, the storyteller, you, the journalism major, you, the English major. I had to make my own job. I had to create a job that didn't exist before. And what we're doing doesn't really exist, a barbecue media company. We had to make it out of thin air. But that's the beauty of the internet in this digital world. I mean, it's a world we we are all building all around the globe together. And so it's not all done yet. So you have to make up your job title. In fact, job titles, I would say, don't even exist anymore. You have to like figure out what you do and what you love and then find a way to make money on that online. And for a reporter, that's telling other people's stories and getting the information that they have. And maybe it's in the form of their podcast or their blog, or maybe they haven't even started writing their thoughts down yet, but you can find a business that's in desperate need of a storyteller just by going on their website and trying to figure out what they do. So if you love a business, let's say you love a a company and you, you look on that company's website and you could do a better job of telling their story, tell their story and send it to the CEO. I mean, you'll see how far you could get if you actually proactively go on LinkedIn, add everybody from that company and show them how much you know about their business. You'll be able to make your own job. There's a guy in the Howard Stern show, I remember years ago, he was an intern named JD. And when his internship ended, he made his own job. He said, Howard, I'm going to watch all the TV and record it for you. And then I'll pull funny clips for you to play on the show. And Howard said, that's the job I need someone to do. He didn't have that job. And he said, JD, that's your job now. He gave him a little office next to his. And he's still there. And he's like in his 40s now. Out of college. He made his own job. And everyone's great. It's great advice. And I think it's something that becomes more relevant the more we have the conversation, which is why we continue to have the conversation. What practical tools can somebody use, like the tools that we use? Um, Because like you said, you can go on any company website, somebody that you care about, the work that they do. And I guarantee you their digital presence isn't where it needs to be. But if you are a reporter, if you are a videographer, if you are a photographer, I guarantee you, you can start making content for free and give it to them, send it to them, show them that you care about what you're doing. But more specifically, especially now during coronavirus, how many companies are understanding that they have information that's valuable, not just to their customers, but to the industry as a whole. They're doing webinars. So they record the webinar and the smart ones will record it and they'll play it on demand on the website, but they don't know how to make that into a blog. How do you do that specifically? Um, We have this fun tool that we've been using lately. It's a transcription software called Trent. T-R-I-N-T, Trint.com. And actually, when we're done with this call right now in Zoom, Trint, because I integrated the two softwares, Trint is going to pull this interview automatically and transcribe it into text. Searchable text broken up by us speakers, so I can I can search our entire conversation. And then I can easily share that with Ian on our, our writer who we were talking about. And he can go in and see the whole conversation, but not only, not only read it, he can click a moment in there and it'll jump to that portion of the video. And he can cut it and he can, he can copy it and cut that text and drag it into a new document if he wanted. And it would cut that clip on the video. 
So what you can do, if you have a webinar, if you have something recorded, you can put it into a software and there's many, and there's many free ones as well that you can find just by searching transcription software. You can take a long lecture or an educational summit or whatever you have that the company gives you, or you can find, put it in there and easily find and write an article without having to go through a long tape and transcribe quotes and all that stuff. Because we know time is of the essence. There's only so many hours in the day and you can't be spending all day long transcribing stuff. And you can't be spending all day long trying to find a file to get into the software and figure out how to use it. So that's why you want to set up integrations like we have with Zoom and Trent. And then again, now we have Slack. Zoom and Trent are integrated with Slack too. So now we have this whole ecosystem that sort of runs on itself like a machine and we can focus on creativity and strategy and less on the technical shifting around of all this multimedia. But really the the process basically is taking something that is recorded and maybe not understandable by the general public and then turning it into something else that people can understand like an article or shortening it into a clip and then republishing that piece. So how, (laughs) this is the thing that I, that we continue to discover, but the answers to so many companies, marketing and content problems, needs, worries, anxieties are all, the answers are right in front of them. They've spent so much time to understand that they want to have somebody that they do business with on with the CEO and have a conversation on Zoom because they know that everybody's on Zoom and they get 10 people on the call, they get 50 people on the call, they get hundreds of people on the call, all wanting to hear from the CEO. Yet that company hasn't updated their blog. That company doesn't have a podcast. That company doesn't have a YouTube page, yet they have audio. They could have video, depending on the Zoom call, and they could have written based off of it. And then off of that, they could actually take images and put them on the internet. They could have content that will literally be the lifeblood of their marketing efforts. I had a revelation about a year ago. Um, We had a lot of video, but not enough pictures. And I wanted a lot more images because I wanted them to be on the internet and in the article. And I was going through the video and it was so beautiful that Aaron and Rising Tides creative shot. And I was like, oh, this is a great video. I wish I had more pictures. Silly me. I'm a professional in the content industry. I didn't realize a video is a series of pictures. Why don't I just take a screenshot of that video of each scene, save them into the, the Google Drive that we all share, and all of a sudden I have 20 high quality images. I don't need a photographer, I had a video. And then what, what all else is on video? Audio. So if you have a video, you have pictures, you have video, you have audio, and then if you transcribe that video and get words, you have words, so then you have an article. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, this simple act of recording a video, if you think of it in terms of breaking it apart into video, audio, words, images, I would argue any business should record everything they do on video now, even if you're not going to release it right now, because if you do hire a writer one day and you archive all that stuff, they can go through and write a whole book on you. And it's yep. not hard to record video. And video is the start of everything online because video has words, video has audio. 
So anyone that wants to make a podcast, start with video. I mean, that's, that's another good advice these days. So let's get, not to. let's get to the basics of digital hospitality, the pillars yeah. and what are the most important fundamental things that we recommend to clients that we, so everything we recommend to clients, it's the same thing that we document and we share on the blog, we share on the podcast, we share on the YouTube channel. We want to give as much value to anybody that's listening to this show because we know it can change your life because it's changed ours and it's continuing to change ours. Uh, Give us some of those pillars and insights that we always uh, hammer home. There, we've broken down the content creation process, the digital content and digital marketing process into four unique pillars. And we call them the four P's to make it easy to understand. Number one, there's plan. Number two is produce. Number three is publish. And number four is promote. So if you think of it this way, you go plan. That's a strategy session where you come up with an idea for a video. Two, produce. You get the team on the ground. You actually film the video. Then you have to store it, of course. There's a lot of other steps. Then you get it to the teams that need to put it out for people to see, and that's publishing. Mm -hmm. But then it's out there on the internet. No one's going to watch it without promoting that piece of content. So you have plan, produce, publish, promote, and then you go back again. And that's the content cycle. So just think of it like that, the four P's. You can call it whatever you want, but really you have to have content and you have to have strategy and you have to have a place to put the thing you've created. Content is expensive, so there needs to be a reason for making it. Why do we recommend thinking about content creation and digital media in a weekly cycle? Well, so the reason that you want to have like a regular production cycle, and we always focus on weekly, is because you need something like a guiding, a guiding light to focus all your creative efforts. So if you have a magazine, you know that every Friday it comes out. You can't not put out a magazine. It comes out every Friday. So what do you do in that week that's going to come out on Friday and make sense for the people who read it next Friday? You have to think of it in that terms of that cycle. And when you create a weekly podcast like we have, you have to come up with an episode it forces you that way you can't ignore it and disappear for two months. Cause if you, if your audience can't count on you, they're going to go away. I mean, when, when, if you turned on friends and then they just didn't show up one day in the nineties, you'd be like, wait a second, where'd they go? Oh, we're, we forgot. <laughs> you can't forget. I mean, by forcing yourself to focus on a deadline and a long-term content calendar and a publishing schedule, you give yourself an order and like almost, you know, you're your own boss in that way. You say, I have to do this. And that makes you, you stick to it. And I think the, the biggest, the most empowering part of that is this doesn't work just in a marketing silo. This doesn't work in a media silo, a production silo. You have to have marketing, talking to sales, talking to executives, talking to engineers, talking to servers, talking to bartenders, talking to customers, talking to the village, talking to vendors. The more that you start to have that global conversation, everything you do throughout your day, throughout your week, you start to think in terms of content and frequency is this a story that's willing to, that will help somebody else? Am I the only restaurant 
that has to check in this U.S. foods order, give them a key so they have access to the restaurant, give them $5,000 worth of food that's coming in that I have to have inventory thanks to restaurant solutions. Like we didn't know we needed to inventory that until we hired restaurant solutions who taught us how to do weekly inventory. But I know that because I found restaurantowner.com. You have to think of it bigger than just of you, you know, and that's when we get to the turf company. Is this the only problem that's happening with this specific turf company? Is this the only problem that's happening with American factory wheels? Well, no, actually, just when I went to go try to buy a catering vehicle, I'm asking the sales dealer, how do they write an invoice? It's unbelievable. Every single industry is impacted by technology, impacted by the smartphone, impacted by marketing. And these conversations have to start happening in every single company. They're happening, but they're happening not collaboratively, right? Yeah, and that's where that's where that's one side against the other side. Yeah, yeah, and that's why we use these digital tools, and that's why we focus on them because we know it's the only way to get bigger and be more than we are. We have a power with the internet to reach the world and to to put our messaging and our good ideas out there. And we want to be able to reach as many people as possible, but in order to scale, you need order. And so you do need to use and find digital tools that work best for your business. And we always encourage people to reach out and ask, you know, what's the latest thing that we're using or who do we know, or who can you put us in touch with? Because it is a conversation that's ongoing. And you'd be surprised at what companies are, you know, are the companies you've heard of that are willing to just actually talk to you on the phone and explain what they do and how they can help you too. Why are we focused on building a system, a Ray Kroc style McDonald's system for content marketing? You know, uh, not everyone can do everything. We've talked about that. Some people are experts at certain fields and then they're focusing on it, say like video production. Now, while, while you might be able to shoot video and you know how it works, you want access to a team that focuses solely on video production if you're at that level. And if you need someone to run your IT and run your, uh, your, your computers and make sure everything's up and smooth and never shuts down, you can't just hire someone that maybe can do it. You need to hire an expert. And so as you grow, you can have people in-house to help you, but you also need access and and relationships with other companies and distributors of of information and ideas. So that way you're getting the best of everything. Um, As an example, you mentioned McDonald's. You know, I mean, McDonald's isn't actually making the cows. They're finding the best cows and the best people who, who raise cows and finding those relationships. Same with potatoes. The McDonald's employees aren't planting those potatoes. They're finding people who are good at doing potatoes and who they have relationships with. And then once they have those trustworthy relationships with those vendors, they're going to stick with them. And then you have a big company that, for lack of a better word, is almost too big to fail because if one part goes down, it can be replaced with something else. And then the machine doesn't stop. But if you try to do everything all under the hood, 100%, it's a lot more difficult than if you actually ask for help from other people who are really good at doing their specific skills. Yeah. And also, you know, the, the Ray Kroc method, he's obvious, you know, everybody knows McDonald's, but everybody, it's funny, everyone's perception of McDonald's. Um, You know, I've always been obsessed with 
uh, Behind the Arches is one of my favorite business books uh, because of how transparent it was, uh, because of how much depth they go into the obsessive compulsive need to break down the process of delivering the hamburger the same exact way every time. And I don't think so much of it's not about the quality of the burger. It's not about the quality of the hospitality behind the burger. It's the fact that if I order a hamburger in San Diego, it's going to taste the same as the burger that I, I order in Bulgaria. The chicken nuggets will be the same. There will be sweet and sour sauce. The delivery methods are there no matter what. Part of what we want to do with content creation is develop that system so that once we decide what that North Star is for us, for our client, for whoever we're advising, whoever we're trying to help, once you decide what that is, so how does that North Star piece of content, that North Star idea, that weekly idea, how do we take that and utilize that to make everything else? How does that happen? Um, give me an idea of first, what do we recommend with Mithril Media? <laughs> it's something that we cannot overlook because we've done it before and it's to our detriment. But the number one thing that people need to address before, before you can get to content marketing, before you can fix social media marketing, what do you have to do? You need a place to put your content. You need your own, you need your own digital home. You need a website. And that website is the place where this content is going to live. What are the problems that you see when people either have a website or they fix their website? What's their, what is their mentality with the website? You know, the biggest thing that I see that people do with their website is that they think that after it's designed, it's done. And you see this in the restaurant world a lot. If you went on a restaurant's website in 2009 and then you went again in 2019, it might look exactly the same as it looked in 2009 because they got it built. They paid, I don't know how much they paid back then. You would know better. How much does it cost to build a website in 2009? But five to $10,000. Exactly. So they spent that money and they say, okay, well I did it. And then Google advances, technology advances and your restaurant and your website gets pushed down and down the ranks of search because it's not vibrant. It's not alive. Because they made a website, they didn't make a living, breathing thing. But that's a misnomer. A website is not separate from the world. You need, if, like, if you bought a building, you wouldn't ignore janitorial work. You wouldn't ignore maintenance. You wouldn't let it be infested with rats. Yeah. If you think of a website like a building. I mean, it's a, the easiest thing that we, we always do when we have conversations with people, if they have a hard time grasping the importance of digital, is think of it like the physical world. So if you have a website with a lot of different pages, that's a lot of different rooms of your building. And you got to keep that up. And if one of those rooms is, is going to seed, then lock the door and close it up. Focus on the ones that are open. But what you don't want to do is just have a website that just sits there and gathers dust because no one's going to go on it or use it. Why would they? There's only so much hours in the day and you need to get people's attention. And the best way to do that is with content. And the best way to best content is educational content information. Why? Why? Because we, we, all of us, I know for a fact, anyone listening to this podcast wants to learn. We all want to learn. We all want to improve. So if you, as a business owner or whoever has a website, even if you're just like a freelance reporter, you have information that people can benefit from, but they need to know that. 
they don't know it's that you have that information until you tell them. So it's yeah. really up to you to figure out what you know the most of and then just share it with the world because it will, you know, if you build it, it, people will come. I think if we keep going down the analogy of the, the house and the website, why is it important not only for businesses to view themselves as a media company, but to view themselves as an e-commerce company? You were cutting out a little. You were saying that. So why is it important to view, why is it important for a business to view themselves as a media company? We've talked about why is it important for them to view themselves as an e-commerce company? Traditional offline business usually just had a vanity website that would help hopefully give directions or call the business. Now that's changed. A hundred percent because you have to think about how you and your family and the people you know look for things that you want. I mean, what's the first thing that anyone does when they want to buy something? They look for it online. On Amazon? <laughs> well, wherever they, Amazon is just there. People don't it's care where one, they it's it. One of the many, it. It's one of the many tools that people will use, but yeah. It, it, they want it to be easy. People want, so if they're going to spend money, they want it to be fun and easy. That's what I want. I, that, I, that's all I know. All we know is what we want. It comes down to like what I was talking about, news judgment. All I know is what interests me, so that's what I'm going to report on. I mean, that, that's the best I can do, and it, it seems to work. So when I want to buy a computer like this one I'm on right now, which I just bought a couple weeks ago from Apple, I want it to be an easy, fun experience, and it was. And I went right on that website, and I bought that computer right there on my phone. Did you buy it? Did you shop any other websites? before you purchase that computer. Yeah, no, I mean, I tried to, I tried to find the best deal. And the best deal that I found was Best Buy price matching Amazon because I could get it that same day. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to buy an Amazon to shift my money around to other companies. I like to spread it as much as I can. At the end of the day, I'm gonna do what's best for my family and save money and time. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to give my money to Best Buy because I used to love going to that store. I mean, just I, I used to spend so much time wandering those halls and looking at CDs and DVDs. I was like, I, I, I could buy a computer from Best Buy if they let me do the price match. Or the website told me a big claim, price match, Amazon price. I spent damn near three hours or something trying to buy a computer from Best Buy, just trying to get like 50 bucks knocked off the price. And they sent me through the ringer and they made me, they made me feel like garbage frass. And then... I got transferred to every place on earth. And then eventually I went on, I had an epiphany. Why don't I buy it from the people who are making like Apple? Let me go on their website and see how they're going to treat me. I got the same price I would have got from Amazon. And it was a fun experience and it was quick. And I went right to the store and they knew who I was. I mean, my app was like, I, I had the app. They knew I was there. They had someone with a radio at the front that told the person in the back what I was wearing without even me having to be involved. And I had this beautiful computer in my car and like no problem at all. Mm -hmm. Because I could do it on my, on my computer or my phone or whatever. And I, I didn't want to be driving around in coronavirus time, going from store to store, asking people who don't care about the job that I want to spend two grand or whatever you're going to spend on, on the, whatever you're buying. <laughs> I want it to be a good experience. And so every business that is selling anything, whether it's an idea, an article, or, or you know, a sandwich, you need to be able to buy that online because you're missing out. Someone else is gonna benefit from that. And if you think you have the best sandwich or idea, you need it to be where people are actually looking for stuff. 
because it's a dangerous yeah. world sometimes. I mean, I live in Portland and the, the streets are full of smoke. So I'm going to be buying a lot of stuff online right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, one of the things I want, you know, the people listening to this podcast is, you know, I, I hope that the people that we bring on, the ideas that we talk about, you know, hopefully at some point, obviously we want to inspire you, but we also kind of make, want to make you pissed. <laughs> you know, I, I want you to think and go, those fucking guys, dude, I can't go around town and not think about which companies are doing digital hospitality right and which ones are fucking this up. Because we take for granted how big companies are and we assume that their digital departments are so sophisticated that they're going to understand what a desktop browsing experience is versus their mobile experience versus their loyalty experience. I mean, I tried to buy a, a ticket to Bulgaria to go see my wife today. And I've been trying for the last two days. I wanted to talk to somebody because of coronavirus, because I want to make sure my wife's tickets are okay. Literally, they've done what most companies do. And they say, go on the website. Unfortunately, coronavirus, we're handling way too many calls. So I said, okay, I'll try back at a different time. Still go to the website. I'm like, okay, well, I put a, I, we host the digital hospitality podcast. I should buy these tickets through the internet and find out how it happens. I go on. The website experience isn't where I want it to be. It's, I don't know if I'm buying the right ticket. I don't know if the, you know, if the, the layover is the one that I want to have. I end up, you know, buying the ticket. I end up wanting, it goes, oh, do you have a rewards card? Well, no, I don't have a rewards. Now I have to go back in the browser, log in, register. Now I'm a rewards member. Now I can actually fill out that thing properly. I get the, end up finally buying the ticket, but then I don't have the app. So I don't have the actual best mobile way for me to have my ticket outside of the email ticket that I have. The email ticket that I have doesn't transfer well for me to send the information to my wife. So I have to go to the app store, download the app. Like the amount of steps that I had to take to get the ticket that I want, and I still don't even know if I have the ticket. It's why companies like Cloudbeds and Adam and Richard, who we're going to have on next week's podcast, it's why they've built the company that they have. And I would argue that no matter who you are, no matter what position you have, you can literally find out things around you and get inspired and say, it does not have to be that way. Email marketing doesn't have to be that bad. It doesn't have to look like shit. Like make me want to spend money with you and I will continue to spend money with you. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you, you, there's so much inspiration out there. You just have to look, you just have to find it. And if you're an, un, like we talked about before, an unemployed reporter, and if you need a little push, just go on your favorite company's website and see what you can improve. I mean, seriously, just do that. Go on the desktop and then go on mobile. Just do something. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, you'll, you'll find that from the biggest companies in the world need help. Everyone needs help. And the best companies and the best people are willing to ask for it and accept yeah. it because that's, that's how you get better. And that's the exciting part is that there's companies that are tech companies, literally that are building the foundations of the tools that we're asking for, that these companies like Slack, like Yelp, like Toast, we're literally using them to fuel our business, which means we're going to recommend them to other people that are in our business or other businesses that we think that they could benefit from. But the better the company, the more humble they are to know that maybe they don't do marketing as well, or maybe they don't do this as well. And if they're willing to ask a single unit barbecue, barbecue media company, then, you know, then, you know, we're on to something, you know, we're, 
we always like to think that things can't change. And I would argue that the more that we as a community, those that listen to this podcast, reach out, we share stories. I mean, we have so many people that have touched us from all over the globe, sending us DMs about listening to the show or how, you know, certain guests resonated with them. Sam, the cooking guy is, you know, telling us the story of how he didn't want to open up a restaurant and then he opened up a restaurant or how he quit his job. He was sitting in his parking lot of this commercial real estate job and he just said, fuck it, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to live this life that I don't want to live. I'm going to go do something I want to do. And did it happen overnight? No, it didn't. But does Sam have 2 million followers on YouTube? And I would argue that, you know, by 2025, he's going to have 10 million, if not 50, you know, it's nowhere close to where it is because people are coming online all the time, you know, and people are finding compelling content that they want to follow. Do you have any, parting words of wisdom or advice for um, anybody that, you know, they're, they're just not sure what's their, what's their get involved call to action from Stover. What's their search search for your business and your name online right now. Just turn off the podcast. We're near the end. Anyway, search for your name, search for your business and see what you find. Are you happy with what you find on page one? Then click over to the news page on Google. See what you show up in the news. Are you there? Click in the images. Are you there? What are people seeing when they search your name? Go on YouTube, search your name. What are they seeing? And then start to realize that's what everyone's doing when they hear about your company. And if you're scared of what you see, if it unnerves you, if it's sad, if it's, I mean, learn from that and take the steps you need. It's quite, I mean, it's that simple. Digital real estate. There's it's stake so it. It's you. It's it you. is you. It's not a different world. It is you. Let's not pretend it's a different world. Do you feel like we don't know each other despite we're in different states? No. I feel like I'm in the room with you. I just can't eat the barbecue. It's, it's upsetting. Correct. Do you know that Sean and all these guys were eating barbecue today over Zoom? And here yes. I am in Portland. That was a fantastic Zoom meeting. It was one of the best Zoom meetings we had. We, we, all, we, all, we all got toast, order, I yeah. got to go pick it up. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's great. But there's so much potential, and I want everyone to realize that and to grasp it because the world would be a better place if everyone understood, understood the power of these tools, not just the ones who have the means to understand. I want every small business to be able to compete with a big business. That's my dream. And I want the big businesses and middle-sized businesses, the ones that are doing compelling work, to understand it's not as complicated as it seems. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to spin around in circles. Sometimes it's as simple as hiring an out-of-work journalist to write about your company. <laughs> this is true. Um, so how, how can people interact with you? What's your, what's your call to action? The best, the, yeah, the best way that people can reach me, I, I, there's two ways I want them to reach me. One, the more professional way, if they want to get in touch with Cali BBQ Media or Digital Hospitality, they can email Stover at calibbq.media, that's S-T-O-V-E-R, at calibbq.media. If they want to talk about barbecue and fun uh, cooking stuff, they can get in touch with the at BBQ hunk social media, I assure you that's me. (laughs) That's your alter ego? My alter ego, you know, again, we're talking about potential, and I, I saw that there was an account a couple years ago called barbecue hunk available. I was like, nobody took that. If I start calling myself a hunk over time, it'll be true. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm laying my flag right now. I, I, in five years, will be the official barbecue hunk. And when people hear hunk, I would, I, I would, I would argue that you already are the barbecue hunk who's appeared in Playboy magazine. That's quoted true. In Playboy magazine. I was quoted in Playboy magazine. Yes, we'll put the link in the show notes about the barbecue hunk in Playboy magazine. Who's going to put the link in the show notes? Stover is not me. (laughs) (laughs) We we appreciate you guys who listen to the show and follow us on YouTube and read the blog. Um, Seriously, it's just, it's incredible to be, you know, in a position where we've gone over 50 podcasts and, you know, we're, we're just getting started. You know, we hope to inspire you to create your own podcast, to create your own blog, um, to unlock all the tools, to learn how to DM people and figure out how to get on local media, how to get national media. Um, this, this internet is an incredible place. If you want to find positivity, surround yourself with people that are chasing big ideas. Do not surround yourself around people that are talking about other people, talking shit. There's just way too much incredible things happening and you can be a part of it. You can be a part of this rising tide and um, we're here to help too. So thank you. Thank Thank you, Silver, for all that you do. Uh, Thank you, Ian, for all that you do. Jay, Rising Tides, um, love you guys. We appreciate it. And uh, on to next week. My favorite part is when the music kicks in right now. Oh, where is it? (laughs) 